Hey, Kristen, how are you doing? Starting to get a little hungry, actually. Oh, yeah? I just what? turned the oven on to preheat it for supper. Ooh. I'm going to make one of those. Uh, it's a shepherd's pie from the farmer's daughter that we picked up on our way home from Cape Breton. Yeah. Oh, that was an amazing experience on the weekend. Playing three shows in a row. All amazing crowds. Uh, in a two bar show or a bar show, then a little kind of called a soft cedar type venue. And then capping it off with a show inside a coal mine to five people. It was definitely the most unique venue I've been to for a concert. I'll uh, eventually get the video back of that and we'll, we'll share it here. But yeah, it was a super uh, once in a lifetime chance and just really honored to have been asked to do that and to share that that moment with a small group of people. Yeah, definitely something we wouldn't have done on a normal weekend. But uh, maybe that is normal for us, yeah. I suppose. Well, we'll just keep finding those moments. And I did make the comment on the weekend about having a new appreciation for you going on tour because you did only three shows. I shouldn't say, oh, yeah, you did three shows in a row and I was exhausted getting <laughs> home. <laughs> well, it depends how you, how you live on tour. Like some people tour uh, easier than others. Just, you know, just go to bed right after the show and. Yeah, you'd have to at some point make that executive decision. Your body just can't sustain Depends late night after late night. Some people, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Depends who you're on tour with. Yeah, but it, it, it's not feasible for... It's not feasible for our middle-aged bodies. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 we won't do it too often like that. When, I, I had an absolute blast. Yeah, it's pretty darn fun. And speaking of like moments in the, the coal mine, getting opportunities like that... We had a special chat with our great friend, George Woodhouse, that to me felt like a pretty special moment, having him here and reflecting on our last 10 years together and how he came into our life. I think every moment spent with George is a special one. And I know that sounds cheesy, but if you know George, you'll know exactly what I mean by that. He's one of the most sincere heartfelt kind people i've ever encountered yeah he's, and he's that way all the time he's like a kid in a candy store just with everything he encounters in life and it's yeah. a beautiful energy and he's a incredible musician a songwriter mm -hmm. who has an album coming out and we were uh, lucky to get to chat with our good bud george woodhouse and uh, hope you enjoy the chat out there Have you regenerated from your from podcasting this morning? This is like we're in the podcast zone, George. We're just our headspace is always there. Okay, <laughs> this is like this reminds me of thirty six holes of golf in a day. This is like Have you played thirty six holes of golf. I I don't know if I've ever actually done it. I think I might have when I was a kid because I I worked at golf courses growing up. But uh, you know you you'd hear about it and it was almost like someone doing like a super marathon or something. It's like no one no one should do that or yeah. 
but people do it because they love it so much. And sometimes you hear about people playing better on the last 18. Like, oh, wow. They're, they're practiced expect. up by then. All warmed up. Yeah. The stroke down. There you go. So I'll be in the golf flow ball. state, right? That's right. So, ladies and gentlemen, today we are here with Mr. George Woodhouse. George, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I did, so now we're starting, eh? Oh, we we started a while ago. No. Did we really? I'll cut out the, the bad things you said. Don't worry. Okay. Well, that's fine then. <laughs> George is notorious for saying all <laughs> yeah. those bad things. <laughs> those real mean things you said about the the other guests we had on. We'll We'll cut that out. Okay. But you're able to do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. He's bugging you. <laughs> so, so George, we uh, we have known you. I've known you for over ten years now. Chris and you've known George for just a little bit less than yeah, that. Yeah, seven or eight, and it lines up with your dating career. That's right. Can I call your dating career a career? <laughs> that feels right. Have I been promoted ever? Yeah, promoted to wife. <laughs> I think you promoted Mike to husband. That, that's definitely how that one Thanks, works. Thanks, buddy. I like, yeah. I like that promotion. <laughs> so you, you've been in our life in in multiple capacities. You you were the greeter at our wedding. You we we met at a at a rock show. Why, why don't you tell that story? Because I always like your your version of it. It's always one of my favorite stories to tell <laughs> because I grew up in small town Ontario. Outside of a small town, actually, so it was a road, and I connected to your story, Kristen, about growing up in Clarence. Growing up on a road. On a road. <laughs> um, so when I decided uh, to to leave Ontario to pursue a post-secondary education in a part of the world I'd never been before, it was it wasn't the program at Dalhousie really. I would I signed up for undeclared arts as a major that's not a major but i was an undeclared student for as long as i could be i feel like that should be our job title now undeclared arts if we start our own record label undeclared (laughs) arts should be the name there done i'm just we could stop the podcast now and be ahead of the game well just let it be known that this is the timestamp on when that was first published as an idea but uh, I came to Halifax and was drawn because of the music. And it was all just mythological to me. Like, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I'm going to, like, put, I'm going to throw myself under the bus. But when my dad was driving my whole, me and my two sisters and my mom in our little minivan out here, and he's like, All right, we just crossed the border into Nova Scotia, George. You're going to be in your new home soon. I was like, Aren't we going to New Brunswick? <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. I didn't know. Where am I going? I was 19 years old and I my geography was a little turned around. I didn't even realize on that day that I was moving to Nova Scotia, not New Brunswick. That's incredible. But since then I've I've become intimately uh, you know, familiar and in love with this region. Um, but just going to Dal and moving to a different city, I was here really because I love to make music. So I met some friends in the first week of going to school. We started a, uh, we met by starting a Disney cover band and doing the Shinerama fundraising thing that that the students do in their orientation weeks across the country. And uh, I was like, okay, we've we started a band. Now we need to go and like take in some of this live music. Knew nothing about who was what, what, uh, what bars or, or clubs were good to go to. But we looked up the coast. Remember, I remember opening the coast, and it was like 
Friday night, the, you know, the town heroes at the tea room and I guess the maybe there was like a no cover, so we were like, <laughs> I think I think pitchers of beer were six dollars. That so. could have been it too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we you know we were on a shoestring budget, yeah. uh, being students and all. And uh, we went, went, walked into the tea room, and it was empty. There was like three other people there, but it was a cool place. I was with my new friends, so but the you know the lights were kind of low, warm lighting. Mike and Bruce stepped onto the stage. This giant guy with uh, with a guitar made of duct tape, and and, and Bruce, <laughs> who I'm pretty sure had a was in his caveman beard phase. Which is he still in? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, he yeah. still is right in this moment. He's so handsome with that beard. I've always thought that. And they just they just started playing, and it like it just rocked my world it was a definitive moment of as a musical experience you know i'd never really been in a room growing up in a small town you don't i went to folk festivals in the summer and things but mm-hmm. it, this was a real rite of passage and so at the end of the show i went up to to mike and bruce and i was like guys like i think i i'm one of the lucky ones that just witnessed music history like they had just <laughs> started this band that didn't even have an album out yet like I, w- I was I felt on the f- on the fringe of something incredible. Mm. Do and you remember this moment, Mike? Like this f- initial introduction or encounter? Oh, I remember the encounter. My feeling of it being a, a history changing moment wasn't quite <laughs> Didn't as extreme. Align. <laughs> yeah, it's because when when you're on stage and there's whatever seven people there, it's uh, it just never quite makes it seem like it's a monumental moment unless there's like seven like managers and agents who are like taking notes like oh my god this might be our break well but not, not against uh, that be- meeting you george was a wasn't wasn't a break it was one of the best breaks i've ever had in life you it, know? it was a life-changing but, yeah. moment and it's always reminded me playing live music yeah. that it, i mean you can say like it doesn't matter how many people are there as long as one person goes home happy it's yeah. the cheesiest thing and it also uh, makes you no money if you're charging admission, but it's also, there's a truth to it because seeing that show changed my life. I mean, you went on Mike to, I don't want to spoil things here, but you went on to produce my first ever record, which, uh, which is like a life changing experience. And we've become friends and I got to meet you anyways. That's the story. It's, it's it's definitely life, life changing in, in so many ways. And those, those little moments, I've, talked about on the podcast before about how i would rather play for 10 people who were intimately interested in what i'm doing than 10,000 people who are just kind of you know just there because those 10 people and you can create an energy that is something that's is almost impossible to recreate and in any other scenario and for for that night to have created all these things in the periphery. Like, like I said, you were the greeter at her wedding. I just produced your album. We're great friends. We met Sharice through you. Like you, your, your son is, uh, is part of our life. And that was all created through music. It's refreshing too, that that might be a saying that we hear that, even if you change one person's life. But this is a real life example of that actually being true. 
So we hear this, but you don't always have those tangible outcomes that you want that speak to that. So yeah, how nice. And it was it wasn't just me. Like there were three other people there that for the next four years we must have gone to you know fifteen town hero shows. We we were groupies. Yeah, it's yeah. funny to think back on it now. But like if you guys were playing, I wasn't missing a show. Were um, you a musician before you moved to Nova Scotia? Yes, and I. I will say that with confidence and humility. Like I couldn't, I played five good chords on the guitar and I had a lot of passion. Yeah. And uh, what more do you need? What more do you need? (laughs) You don't really need anything else. You just need time to do that. Four chords and the truth, right? Five. I said I could play five. Okay, (laughs) sorry. Give him some credit here. What was the fifth? Jesus. C sharp minor? Were you that that good? Didn't come till 2019. Okay. Yeah. Mm So give us a little bit of an overview of that moment. So you're in Nova Scotia, not New Brunswick. and Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you're an aspiring musician or interested in that. Mm-hmm. How has your career transformed or how have you transformed many years later? How has that, how, how have I transformed and how has my career transformed? Maybe they're one and the same. Well, certainly, when I when I came to to Nova Scotia as a nineteen year old aspiring musician, I I was unashamed when I said I I just wanted to rock, like Jack Black, Tenacious mm-hmm. D, you know, Flight of the Concords. I had all these influences and inspirations in my life that it was so clear to me that I wanted to do that. But I felt like, but I I had to you know go to keep going to school and um it's because i had parents who who were really um who who wanted the best for me wanted security for me and i've my path has actually been one of pursuing that you know i've i've been so fortunate to to after school get then get a teaching degree uh and then get a job with Parks Canada mm-hmm. um, after I graduated from um, um, my Bachelor of Education, ultimately. And this whole time, I felt like I was carrying music and, and songwriting like this party trick, you know, that I, re- I, I didn't want it to be my party trick. I wanted it to be um, my, my essence, you know, my livelihood. Uh, but it felt like such an impossible um thing because the the groove of you know your education into a stable career is is it can feel so deep mm-hmm. um whenever people that you love and also the society at large is is you know um d- making that groove uh, laying it right in front of you and that's also my my privilege and my position in this world so I, and it's also introduced me to, you know, people who really matter a lot to me. Um, but I, I love your podcast because I think you address a tension that one feels when you spend a certain amount of time and energy doing something that you have all this other energy for, but not enough time. And, um, and the art of balancing that and also balancing, 
I, I think I strayed from your original question, Kristen. No, that's that's great. And we've talked about, as you've said, we've yeah. talked about this often on this podcast, in part to shed some light on it, uh, but to also normalize having those feelings and experiences mm-hmm. where we are often expected or socialized to follow these particular paths and people respond and understand to that in a certain way. Meanwhile, we're left inside of our own mind, body, souls, having a completely different experience. There's almost this conflict within that you're faced with those decisions and it can feel at times lonely or we, we've interviewed a couple of guests now and, and me being in yet another example of you go to school and you find yourself in this career path. At some point, it feels all the more scary to turn back and start over. The older we get, the more ingrained in that career we become climbing the ladder. And then suddenly you choose to not only make a change, but make a change to be an artist. Mm -hmm. So there's that other additional layer of just scarcity or fear or whatever assumptions come with that. So Mm -hmm. I'm thank you for opening up about that being part of your life experience, too. Well, I I will say that I was terrified to kind of go on the record and, and give voice to some of these things that I've carried around for a long time. And I've, I've always, if, they're, if they've become part of a conversation, I've either watered them down or I've, you know, um, uh, justified my decisions. Um, but what I, what I, I guess I most have been most afraid of is people that I love who've supported me, who've helped me achieve um, what I've achieved. And and I'm afraid that by acknowledging that there's this, there's this expression of George that doesn't feel fully expressed in, uh, um, in life. And I, I'm, I'm just going back to like, when I was working, when I first started working full-time for the government afterwards. We can later talk about where I'm at right now and how Mm -hmm. that feels like a very, uh, I'm in a very unique place that I never imagined being in. But um, I I really don't think that there's a right and wrong. And the people pleaser in me has always been afraid of making anyone who's supported me and been happy for me getting a, a, a good job or buying a house or doing these things that have have been a privilege and a joy um i've always been afraid of making them feel like uh that i'm not grateful or that or that they're wrong and that really who i am is this other thing and that's simply not true i mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a bothness yes. that um and i might i might live my whole life and uh, and that tension might always be there and I might always have one foot in this world of my career as a public servant and one foot in a world as a songwriter. And I don't know what that looks like, but I think I'm, I'm happiest and I feel most like myself when I, I can um, accept that. Well, I think it's fine to be in any position is ultimately the, 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 the end end of this. Like, you can be a government worker and love every minute of it and that's 
your path and what you're supposed to do. Maybe you're a government worker and don't like it, but you just don't feel like leaving because you like the security. And that's fine too. Like there's no right and wrong. And I, I think, I think most people know that, but I think a lot of people just don't understand people who make that artistic jump. And I, normalizing that is one thing I'd like to be able to, to do with this podcast is that, that a lot of people just don't look at the life and career of someone who chose a creative path as an acceptable way to exist in society. Mm. And, and I think it's just because people don't often talk about it. Like my parents growing up probably didn't know anyone who was an artist or mm-hmm. any type of artist, a musician or a painter, like people who did that, but not people who had as careers because maybe it wasn't a viable option back then. It's, I mean, I'm going back to that meeting you, Mike. Like, to me, uh, a working songwriter, that was only someone that was on a CD cover Mm -hmm. in my collection. I didn't really know anyone that was a full-time musician who I could connect with beyond, you know, off the pedestal. So meeting you was a big deal because suddenly... There was uh, a person I could look to as uh, as a model, and um, and that's what I've loved about moving to Nova Scotia and and this chapter, the last ten, twelve years of my life is feeling like it's it really is a supportive community out here where um, there's you know amazing organizations, community of of artists that that are trying to normalize it but i don't still don't hear enough of it in conversation which is why yeah. i think your podcast is such a, a a needed thing i really appreciate that you've brought attention to it doesn't have to be all or nothing though and i really struggle yeah. with that as well in making the decision to leave my government job to pursue life as an artist because it was never about i hate this thing it's all bad get me out of here it being one or the other, black and white, it never felt that way and still doesn't. I valued so many of the relationships I made and the skills that I learned. I wouldn't be the artist I am without that civil service experience. I think that's what made it a difficult decision was that I did enjoy both to some extent. There were aspects of it that were important to me to grow as a person in both It's really about now thinking, well, if I did 40, 50, 60 hours a week in this area and just a little dabbling, I've kind of flipped that. Mm. So I I still connect with those people that I worked with. I still pay attention to media releases. Like it's still an interest of mine. I I studied political science. Like there's, there's knowledge there that will even find its way into my artwork. And I just wouldn't have had that without it. So Thank you for just giving a little bit of that perspective to it's this is not about you know, trashing the corporate nine to five. It, it's a a privilege to have these opportunities. It works for so many families. And thank goodness for these hardworking people that have these jobs. Uh, well, I think everybody should quit their job and become an artist. Of course. So that, of that's course. what I think. <laughs> uh, quit your job on Friday at, at, at 4 p.m. Yeah. And, yeah. and then just start it again at Monday at 9. <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah, that's another thing. Like, Not everyone is supposed to be an artist. 
of of any dis of any discipline uh-huh. that they choose. Like you do not have to do that at all. You can follow whatever makes your heart sing. I've I've seen uh as a as a public servant, a civil servant, I've seen people come alive with the same passion I have for making music and writing songs. Yeah. Uh, like that that purpose that you 100%. that call you 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 feel. I've seen it in the work of people who are doing their their work in uh you know uh media relations or um you know even in budgeting and finance or strategic thinking like yes people that that come to life and it's like you are meant to be doing that and holy crap you're good at it yeah yeah it's still meaningful like yeah. this is work that impacts the people of our province and country and world mm-hmm. depending on your position so uh, yeah we we would be completely mm-hmm. at a loss without that infrastructure and input do you find though that in Kristen, your experience as a civil servant, that that there were times where um, maybe you uh, people perceived you as being more into it than you were in certain. I often described going to work as putting a mask on. Mm. I uh, I think that's why I found it tiresome because I was myself. I'm naturally a easy to get along with person. And I, I genuinely did connect with a lot of the work I did. I've had a number of different positions, so some more than others I enjoyed. I think because I was pretty good at my job, uh, it was assumed that I was at, at home to some extent, mm-hmm. but I also felt like I was quite open about my creativity, which made me interesting. Mm-hmm. I was a you know, I was the black sheep around the boardroom table mm-hmm. and often people liked that about me. So maybe before a meeting started, I was often the one fielding the questions about what did you do on the weekend? Because chances are I was at, you know, one of your shows or mm. I had a show of my own and things like that, I think made me actually a more likable employee mm-hmm. because it was something a little bit outside the box. Yeah. And I saw those things as a strength and that was another thing that made it confusing to make the decision to leave Mm -hmm. was that I like you were saying I kind of have one foot in each door Mm -hmm. and for the longest time that felt like the thing that made me Kristen unique Mm -hmm. was that oh I get to do both of these things and that's what I can offer Mm -hmm. on like someone who just does one or the other it is so unique it really is and and I've um, Mike, I'm going to take you back to a memory. Okay. Here's an example of of uh, a moment where one foot was in songwriting and one foot was uh, in my job with Parks Canada, this federal agency. Um, I was working as a student in 2012, and they were rebranding their whole mascot, uh, like story. You know, this is a big deal. You know, mm-hmm. the Park of the Beaver was the new beaver, and they they knew that. I had made it known that I I like making music and writing songs and I work for the government, but don't forget that I'm a songwriter. <laughs> and so they said, okay, George, well, this this new beaver, Parker, needs a, a song, <laughs> a theme song. <laughs> like, what do you think? Like, I think at first they were like, here's kind of a, a make work project. We'll see what we get. And I took it home and I was like, all right, like I'm writing a song. Write about a beaver today. For the, for the federal government. And, and we wrote, the Parker song and it's 
translated into both official languages. Mike and Bruce were on tour coming through <laughs> Ottawa. Uh, and I told them, I'm like, we're recording this song about a giant beaver at, at, at a real studio in Ottawa, paid for by Parks Canada and the federal government. Would you like to come by and like help on the chorus? And my mom and dad came and Mike and Bruce were there. Bruce played the djembe. And, and out of that project, like that begets more, um, uh, I think more gray area activity which i think is what what i really live for where the, the government needs arts and the arts need that systemic yes you know thing and, and and i love existing in that can you call it liminal space we'll accept that i actually don't know what the word liminal means gray area so, yeah That's okay what we'll <laughs> i've just heard people use it i feel <coughs> excuse me i feel like You've reached out to me at least once a year for the last 10 years <laughs> with some type of project exactly like that. <laughs> hey, Mike, I'm uh, working with the government and I wrote a song about this. Yeah. Can you either play on it or sing on it or record it? Like even in the last six months, we did two different things together. <laughs> That's true. That you, you created songs yeah. for some yeah. like corporate thing. Like you're, you're bringing your creativity into that mm. world and i think that's something that a lot of people appreciate mm. it's it's interesting when you put it that way because like i when you do add it all up it's i think that's also where i've found ways to derive and, and fill my cup in 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 a job description where that wasn't in the description but we find ways and and we we build relationships where people especially when you have a good manager and they see you for who you are and and what you want to bring and what you can bring to a team, I I think that there's so much room and and it's not fair to call it selling out unless you're going and you're writing a song that you don't believe in, you know. I think there is so many things happening in a government, especially in the public service, that I do believe in. I'm like protected areas, yep. Climate change, yep. Like mm -hmm. you know. Um, second language learning yep like all these things if i can support that by writing a song and it can help the government have a wider reach with that message i'm like well you know what uh, yes yeah it's important to have those <laughs> yeah. voices as well um is that how you came up with your band name yes okay so yeah. let folks know your band name and <laughs> how that came to be yeah i uh, my band is called George Woodhouse and the Public Service. And I didn't realize I was setting myself up for that <laughs> moment so hard. Uh, but uh, it's, that, that idea felt right to me long before we, I actually got to make the band. Okay. I think um, it was when I was in one of my lowest points where I felt like my job, uh, I was in a certain job where I was working remotely. I couldn't connect with people. I was turning on a computer every day, and at the end of the day, I had nothing left. And there, it was a hard couple of years of of that. And, um, but I felt like I really resonated with the idea of a public service, and that why do we, um, why is that synonymous in our minds with cushy government job, mm -hmm. and that there's there's a lot more to the the idea of that. So. I'm like, well, maybe my band, you know, I could be George Woodhouse and the public service and we could 
sort of expand the the meaning of of service and public and you know people and so yeah the the name stuck even though it's really long and it's not uh um yeah it's not as quick but it's still it's perfect and true it's a collection of people really that are these all friends and bandmates that you met since living in Nova Scotia yes yeah yeah absolutely since um you know since that that show that I went to go see the tea room I think one of the people there was Ian McNeil uh uh, and his sister eventually moved to Nova Scotia, I think with, you know, similar feelings about, you know, it's funny that Nova Scotia really does represent a, like a safe space for someone to come and experiment with something that they feel inside. Like you don't yeah. hear about people like, I'm going to move to Southern Ontario and, and really <laughs> see if being an artist is nothing. I grew up in Southern Ontario and there's a lot of inspiration there, but it's it's there is a, a certain charm and uh, um, specialness about the East Coast that invites the creative spirit. How much does Music Nova Scotia factor into that? I'll ask that of both of you because I know it's something uh, at different music conferences that we've been to that those from abroad, be it from an export program or maybe out of province, will make the comment that it's a unique, really flourishing, supportive organization that they don't have. Do you think that's part of what attracts people? Is Today's episode is sponsored by Lindsay Doyle Photography. After a decade in the corporate world, Lindsay made the leap to full-time entrepreneurship in 2012 so she could make her own rules. With a headstrong and quirky personality, Lindsay approaches her work in a straightforward way taking care to relay strong social messages with her art through humor and honesty. Her photography and writing clearly show her passion for social justice issues, particularly in the field of women's rights. Whether through subject-based projects or through self-portraiture, she weaves art, business, and audience interaction seamlessly while focusing on projects that specifically aim to break down barriers for women, celebrate their strengths, and create discussion. Lindsay currently lives in the Ten Talon area with her husband and two young children. You can find Lindsay on Instagram at ldoylephoto and on the web at www.lindsaydoyle.ca. Well, I, I think Nova Scotia has such a, a small yet diverse and talented group of musicians here that it's it's easy to be supportive. Everyone's just naturally friendly here too. So there's a lot of just wanting to know other people and wanting to be a part of what they're doing or just connecting with people and wanting to be involved. And Music Nova Scotia is kind of the centerpiece of that in, in a number of ways, especially Nova Scotia Music Week, which brings everybody together where these relationships can really flourish and then that's where a lot of opportunities for Nova Scotia-based artists happen. Mm -hmm. And I know for us, we've had many opportunities as our band, the Town Heroes, come from that. And our, our first real touring opportunity happened by playing a showcase in Yarmouth and someone from The Great Escape, uh, which is a festival in Brighton, England, saw us. And then we went to Brighton a couple guys from Finland saw us and they asked us to come on tour in Finland. So like this one show took us to two countries and 
right around the world essentially that is so cool and so i just want to acknowledge that i while i find myself in this let's call it the liminal public service space of artist and also civil servant i grew up dreaming about exactly what Mike just said mm. that didn't really involve working for the government. And so <laughs> I think my ego has has probably had the hardest time with accepting myself in where I find myself in this journey. And that I, like all I, you know, it says like, George, all you really want to do is just get in a van, go on tour and drink Gatorade and like, you know, not <laughs> not have to worry about anything except being a, a a touring songwriter but of course life is is i think uh has so many riches outside of that li- like that particular story that um uh that take you know that mean no maybe that's not the thing that you should be doing right now or ever in that way but there's other ways to to taste that and so i'm you know, I'm excited to be more involved with Music Nova Scotia, and I've found them to be incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like, like on the outside looking in, because that's where I've put myself as someone who's always felt like they've come from away, because I did. But I've been here now for 12 years, and I feel very much a part of the community. And it's only just now with this first record that I'm... I'm kind of I'm the last person to give myself permission to step into that community of incredible talented people and and it's it's thrilling like I'm on the edge of it right now. It's so exciting to hear you speak of this because you can it's emanating from you the the sincere excitement for this project that you've just completed. So let's talk about that. You're going to be releasing your first full-length album coming up. So when did that project start and how is it developed? Well, Started the day you were born. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I I would uh, if that were an option on a multiple choice question, <laughs> it would be correct. I mean, I really do think that like anytime someone releases a body of work that it that there's no part of your life that uh that doesn't inform that. Agree. Um but releasing a full-length album also always felt like an out of reach thing again because it i didn't know what was involved and i didn't see friends doing it um but then as i started to you know friends from home um some some young people like me that were my models in growing up in ontario and then moving out here and meeting mike and and then meeting other people that are doing it suddenly it's like okay i can do this too and um and I wanted to take myself more seriously. And the way that I did that in 2018 was on my birthday, I decided to gift myself with the challenge to just write a song a week and share it on social media um, to prove to myself that I have this thing to, that, that I, I can uh, set free <laughs> on, on a regular basis. Um, and so I did that, and a lot of the songs that have ended up on this record really started from just the practice that while I worked my nine to five, I also made time and had energy for doing this thing. And it's not sustainable. I wouldn't. Gosh, you yeah. wrote a, an original song every week. That was what I set out to do. And, yeah, and, incredible. Uh, and I, 
And another misconception is that I did all 52 weeks. I only got to 47, but it still felt like, again, I was in the 90s in terms of like my mark on that project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, and, and watching that journey unfold was just an amazing thing. And it seemed to just pick up momentum and people, people around the world were, were tuning in to see what, what you'd create next. And your songwriting to me has always been something that I feel is very human. There's just elements to it. That's you listen to a song and it's never so literal. You're going to figure it out right away. But the more you listen to it, it's just, it's about these moments that we all experience and moments that we can learn from or moments that shape us to be who we are. And whether it's with family or friends or someone we've just encountered for a moment in the day, but your songs are just very, very human. And that is what I appreciate in artists. And once after I met you, I, and you said you were a songwriter. I was curious about hearing what you were creating. And when I heard your songs for the first time, I had that same observation. And now watching it come to life and being a part of recording those songs, it's uh, just a, a marvelous thing that I'm excited to see how the, the world responds. Well, thank you, Mike. That's, it is marvelous. That, I, that's the word of the day. Marvel. Luminal. What's the word you made up there? <laughs> uh, liminal. Liminal. Well, yeah, there's nothing liminal about this. If this, It feels marvelous. And I think that I, we don't do this enough where we actually t- take a minute to stop and just tell our 10-year-ago selves a little story about some of the things that are happening in our lives. Like, you could do that through writing a letter or just having a cup of tea and thinking. Um if I told my 19-year-old self the day after he went to go see your show at the Tea Room that, guess what, George? You know, Mike Ryan from the Town Heroes is going to produce your f- first full-length record. You got some funding for it. You're going to be, uh, you're going to have a music video to go with the first single. I'd be like, what, what, what? You know, this it's a dream coming true. Yeah, and that's very much what this whole project has has felt like and it's easy to always focus on the things that you don't have yet or that you wonder if you're good enough to achieve that level but i mean i have to to stop and and recognize that if if i you know didn't wake up tomorrow that i've actually i've i've had the opportunity to experience some of the most incredible moments through collaborations and relationships and it's extra cool that the music would stick around after me yeah, um, sure. Yeah. We ask some of our guests, and we've talked about this just amongst ourselves, what the concept of making it looks like or success. And it sounds like, given this response, you could maybe say that you have already or, or in a satisfying way to date. It, do you have an idea in your mind that would be just the Cadillac of making it? Like, it, I, I do think that, you know... I have made it already awesome. because, um, for example, I think there's, it's kind of like making a cake. If, if it doesn't really matter how big the cake is, like someone's only ever going to eat one piece of cake anyways. Like if the cake's really good, you made it, you made that cake. And 
I think the perfect example recently is the the first single that we made. Oh my gosh, like it's thanks to Mike's production and the what everyone brought to the table to we co-wrote that song Lost Soul Rodeo. So that was amazing. And then we got to make a music video um at a national historic site in Herring Cove. It was so cool. Um Sarah Prosper, the uh, an incredible Mi'kmaq choreographer and dancer uh, was someone who I, I called up, who I had met through my work with Parks Canada mm -hmm. again. So bringing those two worlds together. And I said, why don't we like, you know, we need to have like a, a magical uh, dancing spirit as part of the storyline for this video. So we just found ourselves in the middle of the night filming this video project with the most incredible group of people under a, a full moon. And it's like, that cake? It just I don't think it gets much better than that, and so it's not a question of, to me, I, of whether or not I'll achieve you know a certain number of sales or streams or views or whatever. It's like, am I putting myself in a position to, um, to be a part of moments like that again, and uh, and I think that, like you were saying, Mike, with ten people at that show. It it's it's not always the most economic way to make it, but I do think that really making it is is when you get to when you find yourself in a moment and you pause and say, "Yep, this is as good as it gets." Yeah, yeah. and that that video is such a reflection of what a beautiful moment that must have been because it it shows in the artistry. It's a long song, so it's hard to I imagine keep someone's attention span for it's roughly six minutes it's am a I six right? minute and two seconds song. six <laughs> minute song so but it, it's so visually beautiful sarah's dancing I, I don't know how many times we've watched it and and my eyes are glued on her because she's just an absolute vision uh and and the way the story unfolds and the imagery and the symbolism it's i, I can't say enough about it it's one of my favorite videos i've genuinely ever seen so bravo Thanks, uh, yeah, it's it's really magical. Everyone will put it in the show notes so you can see it. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song in that album that you are excited for people to hear? To I know I know Lost Soul Rodeo is one that has a has a big message behind it. Yeah. And for me, uh on that album working with every song very intimately, um the first time I heard your song, Head Office, that was a moment for me that I'll remember my whole life. Mm. Like when, when you played that in the studio, like I didn't hear it before I set up the mics to record it and you played it and I recorded it and I just sat here and started to cry mm. and every time I listen to it, it just, it just brings me to a space where I know what you were going through at the time. And well, why don't you just tell us a little bit about that song and what that means to you, George, if that's something you want to talk of about. Of course. I, and I, when you asked me the question, which song are you excited to, to share the most? And I think it depends. It would really depend on me, which audience I have in mind. There's, um, this pandemic that we're, I, I really hope and feel that we're 
kind of exiting the cave of of COVID nineteen to you know get spend some time in the sun. Um, and it's been it's been hard for a lot of people. We've lost people. I lost my dad unexpectedly at the very beginning, and um, and it took several months to feel like I had the energy or the inspiration to put pen to paper and and process such a a big experience um, and loss through song. But that is songwriting for me has first and foremost always been for myself. It's always been a uh, self-therapy if you will as Kristen I'm sure you can relate to with with what you create I imagine most artists feel that way to some extent totally it's just it's just in you perhaps that's why people are so drawn to it is because it, yeah. it feels like uh, a visual or sonic representation of something human Mike and mm-hmm. and so that when that song came out it, it's one of those songs that just spilled out and like I told you before like I'm a four or five chord kind of guy. And that song has more chord changes. Like it was, it was almost like, I don't even know how I'm doing this or where I'm getting the idea to go from this chord to this chord. It it felt like a, a moment of flow and it just spilled out and almost felt like, um, you know, that song was a gift and I've wanted, to, there's been so many times where I've wanted to share that song uh, with people who've lost loved ones and then i remind myself that it's it's not the most appropriate thing to do but i'm excited um in in the moment when i feel like you know like oh my gosh you know i i can relate but that it's more for me that i want to do that but i'm very excited that um that it's going to be out there and that people will be able to come across it and connect to it in a way uh, on their own terms on their own time and that that will now just be an available thing in the world um, that people can relate to. Uh, I am, I am uh, proud of, of uh, being able to offer that and put that out there and for it to sound so beautiful, thanks to the, you know, recording it here with you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just really a, a group effort with Blanche and the cello, yeah. uh, Chris on stand-up bass, and just, just everyone putting their passion and heart into it. You brought so much clarity, George, in something you said that this was a song for you. And as you know, I too have lost a parent. My mother passed away almost nine years ago now. And I've almost felt like I needed to make something in her honor. And I've never been able to do that. And I think it's because... I've been so focused on it being about or for her. So how can you possibly create something worthy is how it's felt. Like it's been just an impossible task. I've never considered making something on my behalf about that situation. So thanks for kind of giving that perspective. Wow. But I, and I know exactly what you mean. Like, I think we want to, we we want to honor and therefore we we kind of block ourselves from experimenting because it, when a love so big uh you know disappears physically and we lose somebody in that way um it to replace them with the song just seems like an impossible thing it would have to be the greatest song greatest ever greatest song ever written yeah um and even then that wouldn't really be you know of course it wouldn't be enough and uh and so i think sometimes as a as a creator as a songwriter it's it's when i can 
get out of my own way and I, I happen to have the space and time to just write and to not let the inner critic drive and to there's so many lines in that song head office that i i read them the next day and i'm like like there's no way that um that i'm gonna talk about the montreal expos and the montreal canadians in a song and for it to be poetically legitimate um but it just came out that way because that was um it was just true and like my dad was a huge montreal (laughs) everything fan and um and so when those things when you allow those things to to be a part of your art um it's almost like allowing the the love to exist physically and uh and it's amazing how hard we make that for ourselves with our our inner critic yeah absolutely it's it's it can be a lot of pressure or so it's felt but it, it there's a better way of looking at it which i think you've just articulated so i thank you for your honesty in that and and so that leads to trying to capture that great of love you you too have a new son yeah uh, yeah so yeah. i imagine there's some parallel there in like him impacting your well, of course, your life and therefore your art, because they are not mutually exclusive. So how has that changed and factored into your life and creativity? It, um, there is a deeper feeling uh, about life now. I don't really know how else to say it. I, I think that before, before John was born, named after my dad, uh, he was born about to... A year and a half after my dad passed away and um it was i think it's safe to say that the transition was rocky like he he came five weeks early and um and i was um yeah it's just becoming a new parent is um is never easy um and always hard mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and so uh I think that there was a point at the three month mark after he was born where uh, I, um, I, I really, again, took a moment and paused and realized what I was feeling and, and what life was now. And it was, uh, it was more beautiful than I ever imagined. And I can hear the door opening and Sharice and John are walking in right on cue. Um, and it's, uh, it has i think it it has um kept my ego more at bay it still very much exists and i still very much want to do the things that i think are cool for the sake of them being awesome and cool and and part of my identity but now i i I just feel like i have better access to what's important and i think that lots of artists do um and in my case my john has helped me um put things in perspective and to feel things in that way mm. um now i see sharice and john turn the other way went outside because they probably <laughs> thought they were interrupting but little did they know they were right on cue you were making their introduction and everything i know i was waiting for them to come in and yeah. do you obviously having a, a newborn is takes up a lot of time mm. um do you feel inspired to create with all these emotions rolling through you about having this child and your 
filled with love and joy and or do you feel like you want to just put that into him or how, how does that come across in your creativity i i feel like there's enough for for both in fact there's an infinite amount mm-hmm. of love and that's the cool thing that before i was so uh, aware of how much energy or time i had when my life was uh was just me like you know there's that time in your 20s where it is not a bad thing it's a necessary thing and and also a privilege to where you get to go out and just explore and experiment and it's about you and it's um yeah we're figuring ourselves we're f- out figuring at that ourselves time. out mm-hmm. maybe that doesn't end either but it's heightened in your 20s oh, i'm all agree. figured out here yeah, yeah. you all... nailed done yeah. you are quite well put together mike i think that's irrelevant <laughs> um but now uh having john the, there's I have caring for him and loving him and parenting him with Cherise gives me energy and I it takes a lot too and but I I you know after he goes to bed like instead of feeling depleted at the end of a work day I, I actually feel like okay like now I I could you know do a, do a bit of work on on this other thing and and you realize oh you do there is time in the day whenever your cup is filled and and John is very cup filling and diaper filling. Yeah, <laughs> so sweet. Do you have any live shows coming up in the near future? I know you've opened for Mike and the Town Heroes a couple times. Is there yeah, anything? like a hundred times. Yeah. Got, he's your there. he's your favorite though. He's your go to. It's uh yeah. I mean some of some of the biggest most magical moments, right? Rite of passage moments as a, a songwriter living in Nova Scotia have been thanks to you know. Mike asking and inviting us to support them. Um, we are headlining our own show to release this album, Songs for the Living, on May 27th at the Micmac Amateur Aquatic Club, the Micmac AAC, uh, on Lake Banook in Dartmouth. And that's a Friday night, and I can't tell you how excited we are for it. We're, we're a, a group of, um, you know... Uh, six people all living within five blocks of each other. <sighs> it's meant to be. It's a very neighborhood collective feeling. And I, mm. I think we did this once before in 2019, before the pandemic, and it accidentally just turned out to be a bit of a block party. And uh, we and, were there. And you were there. Yeah, that was a great night. <laughs> that was like full blown dance party. It was a beautiful view. You, of course, attract the most incredible audience. I think you and your band really. You're known outside of the your creative self as just being such a genuine, kind person, George. And I, I don't want to embarrass you, but that's just something that's so obvious when with people that meet you. And I, I could say that truly about your entire band. And I think going to one of your shows, of course, it's entertaining because of the music that you're playing, but you the audience themselves are all extensions. They're there to see you. So there's some type of linkage connection to each of your bandmates so you just walk in and it's this bubble of passion and love and acceptance and there's, how can you not have a good time there not many fights at a george not Woodhouse many show. fights yeah sometimes at no. a town hero show yeah. there's a fight <laughs> you guys are a bit more rowdy yeah a little. you get zach as your uh your guitarist so he brings out the ruffians huh? oh, yeah. <laughs> no not really that, that that's so 
so true what Kristen's saying there. You're uh, you have a presence, and and I've seen you just from an outside perspective. You meeting someone from the first time, even just uh, recently, I've I've seen you come across someone and you respond to what they say with absolute interest and curiosity. And that I think sums up you because in that moment you're communicating with someone, you are entirely focused on them and interested in them and want to get to know them and Mm -hmm. truly excited about it. And that's, also comes across in your music and especially your live performance. There's just uh, just a, an occasion of just joyous people just celebrating. Like your shows to me is just like this, just really happy thing. And pe- and so and some of your songs are I don't want to say dark, but not necessarily always about just whatever on a, being on a roller coaster <laughs> um, do you have a roller coaster song <laughs> uh no but uh, i'm glad that there will that be one it's all how you interpret it <laughs> but like when and and i again being that close to your songs like i know every word in them now and looking at the lyrics to them all there's there's a lot of a lot of context about you just trying to figure out your own life and the circumstances around you. And it's not negative, but it's not necessarily positive. It's kind Mm -hmm. of just that, again, that human experience we all go through and it's about the process. I think like that's, this is my interpretation of it. Absolutely. Yes. Suffering. I, I I do think that there's no human that, uh, is, can live a life without suffering. And, uh, and it's, I talk about normalizing things. It's like, I, I do feel um, that the songs that I write, the, if there's one thing that I hope they do, is just to normalize conversation about um, about the human experience, which is, in its essence, a combination of suffering and 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 love, um, and the liminal space between, <laughs> and and perhaps it's the same thing. But you know, you've really filled my sails with what you're saying. It's it's incredibly affirming, and it's also um, it also is, uh, uh, um, yeah, I think there's so many blessings that really come out of the woodwork, especially when the you, um, you have something to offer the world that the world receives. And I wish that for everyone. I, I, whether they're working a job where they're finding ways to do that through, you know, press releases or you know strategic thinking or they're an artist but I, certainly as a songwriter i i'm so thankful that at this point in my life that i've i've found something to to do that and and i hope for kids i know we're taking like oh now we're going to talk about kids but i i really do believe that you know like mike imagine i've heard you talk about this on the podcast if if you know, thank goodness for Matt Minglewood and everyone up in Cape Breton that was making music. Uh, but I remember the the band that came to on career day to your school and they said, "Our libido, yeah, our libido." <laughs> like, and they're like, "So what? What? What are your? What's your advice? Don't do it." And it's like, you know, fair enough. You went and did it anyways. Yeah, they but, were kind of being funny too. Yeah, guess, and it's it does get me thinking about you know how can we um, how can we 
do a better and better job of creating space for young people to feel seen, to feel heard, and to feel like uh, respected for what they have to express inside. And uh, and I get excited about these songs being out in the world, being able to do a bit of that work, you know, the same way that songs did that work on me. Mm-hmm. And that's why music is so um, is so awesome is because we live in an age where um, we can connect with it you know, from anywhere, and we can find songs that change our lives and become a soundtrack to to transformation. And the the beautiful thing about putting an album out is that once it's out, it's out forever, and, and ever, and ever, and ever. If you use CD Baby, but if you use DistroKid, you have to pay for it every year. But anyway, <laughs> That's what, um, yeah, but CD Baby takes twenty percent of your nine percent. But that's like you have no idea who's going to come across your music and yeah. what it's going to do for them. Or at what point in their life. Yeah. You talked about it being a soundtrack for your life. You can, We can all think back to our youth or a, a memorable moment in our lives, be our wedding day or a trip that you were on or just having coffee with a friend and the song that came on. Like It, it really takes you back. It transports you to those times in your life. So that's the power behind it. It's not always just about pursuing this life it's about as you were saying george the the message and the mechanism to communicate some of these lessons that we want for people so for for youth it's not just encouraging you you can find a home in the arts that's true but also you are free to communicate your feelings you are free to express yourself through whatever way you choose this being one of them this being a beautiful way to express that mm. Um, but I think that's the deeper, sometimes overlooked, uh, thing about art is that we're, we're communicating something and hopefully something meaningful or or it doesn't always have to be, but that too is part of the output and, and our inspiration and motivation for doing this work. I, well said, I had. I released a song uh, when I was doing a similar thing to you, the song a week, um, which I also didn't quite finish either. Um, but I put out a video. Someone shared that a friend of theirs saw it uh, in in uh, the states, and she went on my website and really connected with my music and set, bought bought my album. And I have it set as pay what you can. So. I have a thing where I want anyone to be able to listen to my music. And if you are a dirt poor student who can't afford anything but Mr. Noodles, I want you to have it for free, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, not the best business model, but uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I looked in my uh, email and said, oh, you've got a new download. And I'm like, oh, someone bought the album. And they paid $200 for the album and had this incredibly long message mm-hmm. how the songs resonated with her at this moment in time and they were ultimately exactly what they needed. And I said, you don't have to send $200. Like I, I, I feel a little weird about it. And she said, Oh my God, do you know how much a, a therapy session costs? This, yeah. is, this is worth way more than that. So <laughs> uh, good therapy has also been a, an important part of the journey. Just for, <laughs> yeah, the, for yeah. the record. <laughs> My music's better than therapy. Maybe is what they I'm could play the to. song at the therapy session. Oh, you'd 
come out healed. Like you're like a unicorn a after that. Prime Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> but and I, this is my intention when I released that album was okay. This random person in uh, in America is going to come across my album and it's going to resonate with them with all that they're going through in their life at this uh, this exact moment in time and they're going to feel better because they listen to my album and they're going to give me $200. That was uh, not a thought that went through my head, but it's an amazing outcome. Yeah. And you never know what these outcomes are going to be. Like like I talked about earlier, ending up on a two-week tour in Finland. Like <sighs> So cool. Just... The, the arts were, are the vehicle for experiences. Mm-hmm. We said this in the podcast and we forget who to credit it to, but we, we heard it from someone before. We'll have yeah. to look that up. Yeah. And this past weekend was another great example of that where Mike played a quick 45-minute solo set in a coal mine in Glace Bay, Nova Scotia. So we had never been to, I had never even been to Glace Bay, much less on a coal mine tour. But here we were with this, just magical group of people. It was being filmed and there was this old coal miner who took us down, who was just the Whoa. kindest soul who I just love. Yeah, um, tell a story. Tell. His name is is Terry. Um, he, he worked as a coal miner for 27 years and there was something about him right away that I just felt drawn to. I felt safe around him. I, it's hard to explain because... It's such an unlikely friendship, such an unlikely person to have that immediate connection with. But lo and behold, there was Terry and he he just he was one of those guys that I remember a moment where the film crew was setting up their equipment and it was dark and damp and the ceilings were so low you couldn't stand up. And, you know, I'm, of course, asking about rats and what am I getting myself into all this going on? And Terry's kind of sitting there beside me and I was kind of inching closer and closer to him and he had this little handheld flashlight and the film crew was setting up their gear and couldn't quite see. And he was carrying on a conversation with me and sort of casually pulled this light out and just shone it over in their workspace so they could see what they were doing. And I I just thought to myself, that's such a generous, natural way of being. I could tell in that moment this was just him. This is how he probably functions in his day to day, that he just does these little gestures for people. But he has the appearance of this gruff, kind of older Cape Breton man. and But we get talking and he shared a very heartbreaking story with me, quite frankly. Um, and we both had a little moment and I teared up and he said, don't worry, dear. Everyone has a story that would break your heart. And I thought that that's so true. And what a what a person to share this like this lesson with me and this perspective with me and we we spent the whole night together he gave me his gloves to to wear since it was chilly and I I went to give them back to him at the end of the night and he said no no dear like you you keep those and he was just such a kind soul and really everyone we met there that night I think had some type of shared experience because it was so unique and Mike sang all these songs about growing up in Cape Breton they were relatable and those are just experiences that you could never dream of or really do in any other profession. So it's not always about the money that you earn. There's no price tag on those kinds of moments. And I'll never forget Terry. Hey, Terry, if you're listening. (laughs) 
I don't know if Terry's a podcast. He might listener, not, but, but I uh, I'm sending my love to him nonetheless. If you know Terry out there, yes, yeah, send him our love. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. I, yeah, I, yeah, leaves me just feeling, um, feeling human and so human. Just, yeah, uh, yeah, and it's good to feel human because these days it can be easy to feel not human, and uh, you're right the experiences that we find the places we find ourselves in it i mean you can't put a price tag on that and maybe that's why the arts isn't known for being the you know the biggest money makers because you know people who pursue their artistic passions have decided that they'd place perhaps a slightly higher value on those experiences whether it's for them or for their family or for their community uh or for themselves it's um, it's, it's something that money can't buy because when you experience it, you experience it with your uh, your truth and with uh, yeah, without the expectations that, that come with a price tag. It's similar to being in the audience at both of your shows, and I, of course, you're having an energetic experience knowing that you're the front man, like you're you're responsible for creating this. I can't imagine. How that must feel because being just one individual among many in an audience, there it, it's so moving. You're so present in that moment when people are singing at the top of their lungs. Me being one of them, poorly mind you, but you're you feel part of something. And yeah, like it's such pride to see people that you care about that are you're creating that. Like you you've made this happen. You've brought this community together and. Even if it's just for a, a moment or an hour, it, it, it has impacted those people's lives. I, I've been to how many of your shows, Mike? Like for 10 years I've been going, I still get goosebumps. I still tear up because you still have that feeling of belonging and community and what a powerful tool that you and, each no, have. We can play the same set every night and no two rooms are going to react the same way like the energy is always going to be different and and that's that's an amazing thing to know that and that's a great thing about going on tour like you're like okay we're taking our our set our group of songs you might mix it up throw some new ones in there but you're bringing it to new people all the time like it's a, you can't do the same thing for the same people all the time because it's just that new energy just can't necessarily happen like except for me in my first two years of university where we went to every single town hero show within the span of 24 months so we didn't miss a single one and we loved it every time that, it just got better and better that's true yeah <laughs> but we we were growing and putting new songs out true, and you know true. like like figuring out yeah. how to move on stage and what to say between songs <laughs> what's the loudest sound two cape partners have ever made <laughs> <laughs> the most noise two oh, most noise. Ah, how did i get yeah. that wrong but Kristen, I was going to say, like, when I walk into our friend Blanche, her apartment, for example, and I look on the wall and I see a piece of work that, um, that is just so clearly the expression of something that, uh, of someone, of, of spirit, really. And, you know, never could we ever imagine, never could I ever think about, like, oh, how much does that cost? Like, it, it's... It's the things that where that doesn't factor in that um that I think 
are the things that cut through and um and remind us that our inner child or our you know our essence or our truth or whatever it is is resonating with something in the outside world and how precious that is and um how in a it can be tricky in a super high tech uh capitalist culture where things are are uh, it, it seems like it's getting harder and harder sometimes you know but it's the things like the it's the farmers markets it's the it's the kindness of people it's terry it's it, it's the you know the sidewalk chalk on the sidewalk it's the things that that are there that w- that are there because someone was moved to put them there and it's like wow you know how lucky am i not just to be someone who creates them but also to be in the audience when that's happening or to be in the room whenever there's you know a painting that's been placed there or you know to to read a message that was written thoughtfully from the heart it's um it, it's awesome i do dream of of making more money doing that <laughs> um but i also feel like at, at this time that um that i'm exactly where i need to be and uh um and i'm really excited for how the the journey will evolve and uh to be on it with both of you is um yeah just what are the odds of us being alive at the same time right (laughs) well it's it's been a beautiful journey george that we've seen you grow and progress and i know mike's played a big part of it and i've benefited from hearing those songs here in his studio and i i just we're both so proud of you we're proud to call you our friend and uh respect you as an artist and a person and just can't wait to see where your life takes you take uh, take me right back to this here couch in this studio probably for <laughs> the next it's a good single. chance we hope so <laughs> we'll do it again yeah. in every aspect of it yeah so where can people find your your album and your work where can they listen to you GeorgeWoodhouse.com. This is so brought to you by. No, honestly, uh, you know, I have a website and it's GeorgeWoodhouse.com. And um, you can buy tickets for the show on May 27th there. Perfect. They're $15. Um, and by the way, opening that show are our good friends, Tragedy Ann and, uh, from Ontario. And they're touring with a group called Bassett. Um, and so they're going to open up just a cool alignment of stars. So it's going to be a great show on May 27th. You'll be in Columbia, but that's another story. We will. Is it being streamed by chance? I don't think so. Yeah, all Uh, good. But but if you can't make it to that show, you can still pre-order the album now. Um, and that's there's a crowdfunding tab on our website georgewoodhouse.com <laughs> and uh, feel free to head over there and uh, it's also a, a pay what you can but I, Mike I did set a, a starting price of, uh, yeah, well, of like 20 bucks more than 18 <laughs> cents yeah. yeah that's acceptable George yeah. it's a decent business move so I, I appreciate you asking and uh, you know I appreciate the chance to be on this podcast. It's super cool. After listening to a lot of podcasts in the last year, um, to be on one with you guys is a uh, is uh, is dreamy. Do you uh, do you want to play a song? Whoa! I didn't know that that was coming. <laughs> of course. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Let's. Uh, do you, get you set uh, up? Do you have a preferred guitar that uh, 
You're going to hand yeah. over? I'll, I'll end up pausing it and then okay. <laughs> getting set up there. Okay. Uh, so we don't have to do it in the moment. But Yeah, uh, let's do that. Okay, let's get, get you set up. Awesome. Georgia. Yeah, yeah, sounds cool. Okay, buddy, we are uh, we're rolling. Okay. Got promoted to the good Lord's head office. I tossed and I turned, and I still can't believe the last time I held you was really the last time. Now, my new favorite pastime is learning to grieve. You used to make feet. Sell it to farmers Yes, you were a charmer And you traveled the roads Well, now you make sunsets And work as an angel Well, sometimes we change jobs And that's just how it goes No one can tell you To roll without a model To rock without a grind No one can tell you Just how to prepare For your father's promotion To hit office Podcast exclusive. <laughs> well, I bet you've got benefits up there working for God. If she lets you bring back the Xbox, you'd like that a lot. With your new divine powers, I see you helping out the herbs. Cause they beat Pittsburgh last night, and I was like, that was my dad. There are some things that you just can't control Like the ice is melting in the North and South Pole But Dad, if you're able, could you send a strong enough breeze That could lift up our spirits and get us up off our knees Won't you send us a sign that we got what we need No one can tell you That it work your new mind That it roll without a model That it rock without grind Head office upstairs. 
can see it this way To hell with promotions and believing in fate But if living's like dying Then I guess death's what you make it So when you come to a fork in the road Take it Promotion to head office upstairs. Your father's promotion to head office upstairs. George Woodhouse, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>